the new world audio of professional wrestling is upon you. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns and it's ready to drop a Steiner liner dose of the most lethal substance in all of sports entertainment. You know it. That performance enhancing audio. No, this is not handsome Nick Costos or even Paul from the Nordstrom and Aventura for that matter. The Brian Campbell is in fact the voice that you hear on a power play edition of the ITC as we roll out shorthanded without the Greek. We know he's the most passionate man in North America. He's also one of the most busiest and currently one of the sickest. So be sure to reach out to handsome Nick on social media at the Costos and wish him well ahead of the holidays. But with me, as always, is 2017's Comrade of the Year, the great Silver King himself, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And we have a loaded show for you today. Just the same, you're going to want to do yourselves a favor and get some of this as we look back at the week that was in WWE, fresh off the final pay-per-view card of the calendar year, Clash of Champions. Hey, we take your DM slides as we run down the hottest and latest news in pro wrestling, and we have a sit-down with Raw General Manager Kurt Angle talking about Raw's 25th anniversary, his current program with Jason Jordan, a lot of good stuff to come from that. But Adam, we're going to get kick-started and going right off the top, and we always start with the main event. Adam, the top story of the week has to be the close to Raw when Stephanie McMahon, the Raw commissioner, announced that this year, I'm sorry, next year, 2018, January 28th, Philadelphia, the Royal Rumble pay-per-view will feature the first ever women's Royal Rumble match. Now, Adam, let's get right into it. The news, fantastic, progressive, needed, deserved, all of those words. It's time, right? You want to treat the women on the level with the men? It's time. We just had the money in the bank for the first time. We just a year ago had women in the main event of a pay-per-view for the first time. We just had an all-women's tournament. But Adam Silverstein, the handling of this announcement, and you could question me and say, why are you making this the lead story? But the handling of this announcement, it was absolutely brutal. And it, and it sort of stained how much I liked the announcement by the way they delivered that. And you can argue that all you want, but tell me if you agree. Stephanie walks into a fight between Absolution and the rest of the women's division, and like parting the seas like Moses or like some biblical figure, everybody just stops fighting. And before you know it, we're hugging and we're doing the yes chant. Like, come on. You can't like that. No, I mean, it's supposed to be a feel-good moment for WWE, which it is, but it leads you to then wonder, why are you having that moment in the middle of a brawl where they're all hating each other? You can do that in a segment where they're arguing, verbally jousting on the mic back and forth. Um, You know, Alexa Bliss saying one thing, Nia Jax getting involved, Sasha Banks coming out, and then you have Stephanie, girls, or women, women, stop, stop. You know, this needs to be settled, and there's only one way I can think of settling it. And then you make the announcement. It's organic a little bit. It it seems to kind of come to her in the moment versus being as staged of of an announcement as you could possibly make, holding hands together in the middle of the ring with Stephanie in the middle. Like, come on. Even Charlotte on Tuesday night, like, you could tell that was a script written for her, and and she was trying to remember the words rather than her just coming out and saying, I'm in WWE. This is 2017. 
how amazing is it that we're about to have a women's Royal Rumble? So it stained the moment for me. Um, that said, I love it. Well, in the, well, let's get into that in a second. Let's stay on the stain for one second, though. Like, sure. it makes it feel like it's Stephanie and the McMahons, like, they can't get out of their own way. They When they make an announcement that's great for the quote-unquote sport, they still have to, you know, jump in front of the camera. Like, Triple H putting himself over all the time. It's like over Jinder and India. Like, it kind of felt like that because Stephanie is arguably the greatest heel they have in the company. And it's like these these, you know, gray area of roles where she comes out in a complete babyface role. And by the way, she comes out like strolling in with a smile on her face while there's like mayhem and war going on in the ring. And it's just like that was a very corporate moment. And they inserted it into an obvious fake storyline in pro wrestling and the merging of the two worlds of the business version of Stephanie. I know we talk about this a lot with Triple H where you can go from screwing somebody on Raw and then being the savior of NXT in, in the blink of an eye. But this was really gratuitously just like that. And to make it worse, the cringe-inducing yes chant, it was like, we are going to do something good here, but we're going to tell you first that we're going to do something good, and then we're going to also tell you how good it is what we're doing while we're telling you that we're doing something good. And it is this might actually be the problem, by the way. The, I, don't, I can't believe I'm making this correlation, but the same reason why we're upset about Woken Matt Hardy and the rock star Shinsuke Nakamura and SmackDown's Bobby Roode is they never just roll something out and let the reaction be what it's going to be. They prepare you and tell you what your reaction should be. She literally said, now is the time, more appropriate than ever, to do the yes chant. No, the crowd, if she didn't do that, let me tell you something. If she didn't do that, the crowd would have done it anyway. If they announced it the way that, let's say, I just said a few minutes ago, or any way that you could have booked or anyone else could have booked, the crowd organically would have done the yes chant. Because they did it in that manner, she almost had to say that because the crowd was like, well, we saw this coming. You're making a big deal, and everyone knows the Royal Rumble's coming up. Like It needed to be organic. It needed to be somewhat off the cuff, even though you know it's planned. And they just, just like you said, the ideas aren't always bad in WWE. The execution is yes. often terrible. And this is another example of that. And I'll even go back to War Games BC, even though I, you know, the match was great. We were happy that it was back, etc. But when William Regal announced it, like there were three teams that barely had a problem with one another <laughs> for one week. And he just comes out and the only way this can be settled is War Games. Well, I mean, you could probably do a triple threat match or a cage match or, you know, something like that. You don't have to just jump to War Games. That's usually the end-all be-all, right? I mean, in right. WCW. And in this case, that makes it was double worse because, like, these two sides had a problem with each other. This invading faction was trying right. to take over Raw, and the, the solution is, well, you can all just go in the ring randomly in the Royal Rumble and get picked. Like, that doesn't solve anything in the storyline, like, and it made the storyline worthless. It really did. It made the fact that two factions showed up on the same week on either brand it made it, it obviously, you know, that was set up to add more women to the roster to get you excited. It didn't actually it meant that the invasion didn't matter. And that's been our problem is that we don't believe, you know, live uh, live Morgan as a believable person that's going to take down top superstars. We don't believe any of these people outside of maybe Paige. And now it was all a setup to get us to this next point. And yeah. again, the next point is great. And that should be what we're talking about. Yeah. And we knew that. I mean, it was it was obviously clear. We didn't. We're not the you know we're not some Svengali's here saying hey oh they added six women guess what it's going to be a Royal Rumble no one else knows this everyone knew that this was going to happen right but had they brought these women in earlier the three on each brand and put them together on a Survivor Series team and then taken three Raw women and three SmackDown women that were already on the roster to go against them 
Then you have some type of warring factions, and then you can lead into this Royal Rumble. Instead, they kind of took the lazy way out, and they took the obvious way out. And again, it's just something that they continue to do here. And, and it, it sucks, because we should be opening the show with you or I saying, holy crap, WWE is about to do a Women's Royal Rumble. How awesome is this? And instead, the listeners are probably, maybe they're a little annoyed, maybe not, that we have to look at the bad part first. Because it was so obviously bad. All right, let's look at the the good parts. Now, the good parts is everything I talked about. We don't have to go back into it about how it's needed. It's time. It really was time. This was time. I argued that a year ago it was time because they were already getting ahead of the game on on deep into the women's revolution. I felt that they stretched it out a little bit, but still going with money in the bank this calendar year. Now coming back with this, it allows them to every couple months have every website and newspaper write another, like, the women's revolution is here and here's why, and and, and corporately it works for WWE. I'm happy with it. Logistically, let's talk now, because there was always the problem with the idea of this, and and the same problem in Money in the Bank, is now you're adding a second Royal Rumble match to a card, which is arguably the most anticipated card of the year, and such a unique match. Will it water it down in the same way when we get an Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and sometimes there's three Elimination Chamber matches on, and the first two matches have to be different or they have to water themselves down. That is an interesting debate here, as is how many participants. Now, 20 seems like a safer number, no, but you know they have increased the roster through both NXT and the Mae Young Classic. I kind of want them to, to... I thought I was going to say I wanted them to do 30, but I think 20 may be the best number because I feel like this match, Adam, has to be shorter and not as epic. And I feel like it has to open the Royal Rumble card to get you excited for the men's one later in the night. Yeah, I think it has to be the first or second on the card. I wouldn't be surprised if we see an intercontinental title match, Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe, because you're going to want them in the main Rumble themselves. So I wouldn't be surprised if that opened the card. But yeah, this, this women's Royal Rumble should be up there. I think WWE painted itself into a little bit of a corner by having the titles on Alexa Bliss and Charlotte right now because those are two women you want in this match. And unless you put some kind of, uh, you know, G1, and for those who don't watch NJPW, basically if it's a tournament, if the champion wins the tournament, he gets to pick his own opponent. Unless they put some type of stipulation like that in the Royal Rumble, we might have the first women's Royal Rumble without Charlotte Flair. Doesn't totally seem right to me. Um, But with that said... I'm going to expect WWE to have at least one, if not both, of the women's titles on the line. So if you have that, that's two women. They need competitors, that's four. 20, I mean, they're going to, I don't want to say struggle to fill out 20, but they're going to have to take some, you know, May Young Classic slash NXT women, put them in there. They're going to have to have some veterans come we back We need in. legends. And the people have tweeted, Let's, right? Like like Trish Stratus and uh, even uh, Alundra Blaze, Medusa Michelli even tweeted that she wants to come back yeah. and sort of bridge generations. That would make a ton of sense. And I think that's how you have to do it. So 20 with room for that uh, works for me. I think 30 is overkill. I don't think they could find 30 women without it being like, oh, you know, 10 legends where you're like kind of tired of it. Like, oh yeah, yeah. well, there's Beth Phoenix. Okay, who's next? Like, you know, it gets tiring after some. You want like three or four, you know, really good ones. And I think that's the way it goes. What I'm more curious about, BC, and you answer me this. In history, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, women's battle royals in WWE, they've been able to be eliminated by the second rope, going between the second and third Really? Rope. I don't... Do you think... I, I think that's correct, and I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's, the, that's what it's been. So do you think this has to be an over-the-top rope battle royal? I think it should be. Uh, like... 
Are, are they not equal if it's a middle rope elimination? It's probably not that big a, diff- a difference, but I say it has to be over the top rope because that'll keep the sanctity of what the match means. I just think it's got to be like the women's Money in the Bank match. Shorter, quicker, to the point. You still have your big spots, still have your big reveals, but I, I don't even. maybe you have a quicker clock in between. Like We have to get to a finish one, faster. Yeah. Unless yeah, one minute clock. Yeah, no, no longer than that. Unless it was going to somehow be on a separate card, which wouldn't make any sense, right? It wouldn't make sense for this to be on Raw the week of Royal Rumble. Like that doesn't make sense. So, but you know, in terms of the names to fill it out, we we almost can't go anywhere any further in this conversation without speaking about the real elephant in the room name that sort of is connected to this news, and that's Ronda Rousey, and even extending down to her force four horsewomen faction, which WWE of course you know teased in videos that that's the first. Uh, feud for for Ronda when she does make her debut. Now, we had Triple H on the show recently, asked him about Ronda, and it was sort of like he gave you that answer that tells you that either we really are far away from the deal or that this will be the Royal Rumble reveal. So, hey, we're not going to talk about it now. We're going to try to swerve you. I feel like 95% it's that. Like, Rousey has to debut here, and it would be a major moment. You would think that she debuts. The other thing that could happen is they could have someone they could have her come in and eliminate someone. So uh, Bailey or Sasha Banks, or if Charlotte drops the title and ends up being in this match, they could have her do a run-in. If Shayna Baszler's in, she could maybe be in the crowd. Um, I think there's other ways to get her in WWE without her being in the Rumble because you don't want her getting eliminated from the Rumble. So you don't want Rousey to lose, in theory, in in some way, her first match. Um, And because of that, I would probably keep her out of it. Now, maybe... You have her confront and take out the winner the next night on Raw or one of the other, you know, scenarios I suggested. I, the point is, she's at the pay-per-view. I think we can agree on that. I one think way that's right. a smarter way you laid it down because e- even if she's in the match and doesn't win it, you can still protect her by the fact that she can get eliminated sure. by like four people. So that would protect her. But the best way to protect her is not actually have her in the ring. So we don't know what she looks like. Can she wrestle? Just have her, like you said, run and cheat, help Baszler eliminate somebody, set the the feud in motion. So maybe, Adam, that does accomplish your earlier conundrum. Maybe we don't see these titles defended, the women's titles at the Royal Rumble card. Maybe the only women's match is the Royal Rumble match, and we have both champions in there, and you get to that WrestleMania match maybe by having Charlotte eliminated by the other four horsewomen, and that's how you sort of start that. It's possible, but... I just I just don't know how you can justify the champions being in the match. Well, like, let's, let's they, not even never tease it before. here. Let's book the damn territory. Let's enter bonus time of booking the damn territory. I'll give you the chance first, since you were starting your sentence there. How yeah. do you book this knowing Rousey's going to be potentially your biggest name, knowing that you may or may not want to have your champions in there? How do you book this thing? Yeah, uh, I probably have Baszler. You know, she's seems like she's making her NXT debut sooner than later, definitely before the Rumble. So I put her in the match. Um, I definitely have, you know, Banks and Bailey uh, in there. Becky Lynch probably makes her return, I would guess, from shooting the movie in that match as well. And probably set up a spot where Baszler gets eliminated, goes over to Rousey, angry, pissed off. Rousey jumps the rope. They pull Banks and or Bailey and or Lynch out. And then all of a sudden you have a massive feud Monday night on Raw. You know, Rousey makes her talking debut and, and you're all the way into it. In terms of the match itself, um, I think there's only one potential winner, in my opinion, and her Damn. name is Asuka. Yeah, it is. There it is. Correct answer. Absolutely. Uh, Asuka is the correct answer. So if it's going to be four horsewomen versus four horsewomen at Mania, which really makes a lot of sense because of how you can protect Rousey, 
I think you don't have Rousey wrestle until Mania. I think that's the money. That's the big reveal. How is she going to look? What's going to be like? Obviously, you have some juicy Raw segments to get there or or SmackDown, however you want to set it up. You also have, obviously, the juicy reveal at the Rumble, like you said, where she takes part. But Asuka is the end-all answer to get the title shot. And Asuka versus Alexa Bliss, if they go that way really makes a lot of sense, not just because everybody else is involved in the four horsewomen of that stature, unless you, you gave the belt to Nia Jax, which you could argue, but, I, you know, Bliss yeah. is, is somebody that can really talk and that would really look good opposite Asuka. Man, that'd be the best push. It's so deserving, and as a, now let's be honest, as a WrestleMania pre-show match, Asuka versus Bliss would be fantastic, or as, like, the second match of the night on the main card. Uh, yeah, that's not a pre-show match to me at all. Well, um, it shouldn't I be, do... but you know how that yeah. ends up working. That's true. I do think Nia Jax is an interesting uh, you know, note here because I could see her winning, not just because of her size, but she has not received the push that I will go out and say she deserves because she's great in the ring, okay on the mic, not good as a face, much better as a heel. Um, but the Nia Jax-Alexa Bliss feud has been simmering and building the we're going to it, then they completely stepped away from it and made us forget it even existed at one point. So I think that is a way they could go. I don't know what else they would do with Asuka. Maybe it's a triple threat match. Who knows? But I would be down for Nia Jax winning. But my number one, I mean, it's Asuka, you know, Alexa Bliss at WrestleMania. That's a match well, they, I would love to see. They haven't finished telling, like you mentioned, the Jax uh, Bliss story from the standpoint that in real life they're, they're besties. With You know, uh, right. Bliss has, has said that on this program. So it's sort of like... They could do the whole Nia's protecting you, but then she wins the Rumble, and now she gets a chance at your belt, and that would be fine unto itself. Or like you said, you have Nia win it to, to give her the boost, and then you have Asuka, who gets screwed during the Rumble, beat Bliss for the belt at an in-between pay-per-view. What, would that be Fastlane? And then you do Asuka, Nia, Jax. But is there a person in that match who can talk that match up to the level that it needs be that it needs to be that's the well, question because you almost need somebody who can really talk on the other side to really set Asuka up you do but Asuka could also just be undefeated and say you know in February or March say hey guys I'm undefeated here I don't have a Wrestlemania opponent I deserve to be in this match demanded of Kurt Asuka we forget she can talk like she's not great but she's not Shinsuke like in NXT she got her points across. She was really good working off Regal. And in a situation like that, as the number two talker, let's say, she can hold her own, in my opinion. The problem so, is she can talk solo. She can't talk off of people, that, and she'll have to. Fair. I mean, that's yeah, fair. they can protect her with video promos and all that, but yeah, uh, yeah, someone may need to set her. I, I think Sasha would be the perfect Asuka opponent, but she's going to have to be involved in that four horsewomen. So that's, you know. Yeah, that's... That's true. Now, as excited as we are about the Women's Royal Rumble, and we are because we just went on about it. We made some predictions. We booked the damn territory, BC. I want to know about the Men's Royal Rumble and how you are feeling going into a match that right now only has Elias declared, but we know that'll change very soon. Would you have ideal scenarios? Any early predictions? Do you want to book the damn territory? Because you know that I do. So I'm curious. Yeah, what yeah. Let's let's sort of test the the feel and the temperature of the water right now. As you know, we know coming after the holidays, after the new year, they're really going to start getting juicy and, and get into it. Recent years, I feel like the guy who you, 
outside of Triple uh, H, you know, a couple years ago when the title was on the line and that was a different stipulation, the guy that you expect or want to win doesn't, right? It's sort of what they do. So under that uh, setting, I don't actually believe the winner will be involved in the Lesnar-Strowman storyline or even Reigns in Philadelphia going back and winning it and testing the waters, which we talked about in the past. I feel like the winner of this will face AJ Styles on the SmackDown side at WrestleMania and should face AJ Styles. And under that setting, this may be WWE's best chance to get Shinsuke Nakamura over and take one chance with him on the title level in a setup where he can't fail. Now, against Jinder Mahal, he was set up to fail. No no one's going to help uh, Shinsuke through those segments to get people excited about that match. Him against AJ, given their history in Japan, giving that face-off they had, was it at... Uh, was it at Money in the Bank or was it at Survivor Series? And I'm thinking when they it was at Money in the Bank when they had that juicy standoff by the ladder and everyone yep. went nuts. That to me, Adam, is the best case scenario to get a huge pop from the crowd. And like I said, take your one shot at Shinsuke at this level because Adam, we talked about how underwhelming the build for Shinsuke has been, and I'm starting to get that fear that he's never going to get there, that he's never going to be the main event title guy, and that Vince will get sick of him and bored and maybe he's a guy who would be better at NXT for the rest of his career. Maybe that's sacrilegious to some people, but that's what I'm saying. This is your best chance to really toss him up there. No, I think that's a great concept. Let's start, for me, talking about what they can't do, and you mentioned it. They cannot put Roman Reigns over in Philadelphia as the winner of the Royal Rumble, while either while being the Intercontinental Champion or not, doesn't matter. Cannot happen. Disaster waiting to happen if they do that. Um, so for that reason, I think Reigns either drops the belt earlier in the Royal Rumble or maybe keeps it, but is either not involved in the match or gets tossed out by Strowman or, you know, someone that doesn't make him look bad. You're also 100 percent correct that s- someone from SmackDown or at least AJ Styles needs to be challenged by the winner of this match. And that's where I am trying to get creative here and figure out the best way that I don't want to say Vince McMahon can save face, but he can correct a a bad mistake, bad decision that he made. SmackDown can put forth its best possible title match and everyone, including the fans and WWE all wins. And the way to do that is putting Finn Balor over because Finn Balor, my friend, has it. And if Finn Balor has it and we know AJ Styles has it, then what's going to happen is you have Finn Balor challenge AJ Styles because he beat him once. He thinks he can beat him again as Finn Balor, not as the demon. You get the two sweet feud round two. You have it as a co or try main event at WrestleMania and everyone is happy. You have SmackDown getting another main event body that sorely needs. Maybe they trade a tag team to raw and we'll get into that later. I think it's a win, win, win for all involved and it sets course for a massive improvement to SmackDown. On, on, main, on the platform of Mania, that match, given 28 minutes, would be ridiculously good. And it's three months too, of a build, too. And it's too good of an idea that it's not going to happen. So, so, whoa, hey! But, what but, we got over here? I mean, it's too good of an idea that that it's just not... I mean, it's like it's it's like we, we're dealing with Kane right now, Adam. It's not going to happen, right? I mean... But, but, like, think about how much would be fixed, right? They'd fix Finn Balor. 
They'd give AJ a legitimate opponent who he does not have right now. Hell, they could make it a triple threat with Shinsuke if you want people to go absolutely crazy. If you want Mark Milk and Underjuice just spilling in the crowd in New Orleans, up and down Bourbon Street, you put both of them in that match. Point being, they can fix a lot of wrongs. They can fix the Jinder Mahal wrong, what they did with, with um, what's his name, Finn Balor. And what they're currently doing in the Universal title picture, you get just get Finn out of there. He does not need to be on Raw. He's being underutilized be, as a guy who is extremely over. Man, we just we just we just wrote two Mark storylines in on how the, that could end, which means Baron Corbin's going to win. Because I was going to say Randy Orton, but he's going to be out for a while. So that's really the you know Randy Orton, Baron Corbin is sort of the same sort of lukewarm pick. All right, number two on our main event, second biggest topic of the week for my money was the. The, the fallout of this Daniel Bryan-Shane McMahon angle, it heated up during the Clash of Champions tag team match in which they were the double main event. You had the skirmish, you had the pushing, you had some really brilliant interplay between the two of the of the near falls, of, of the uh, arguing that went back and forth, and that spilled into the dialogue segment to open Tuesday Night SmackDown, which sort of went in the opposite direction of the way that they set you up to believe. Now, Adam, this feud right now is the best thing going on SmackDown. You could argue it's still the only thing going on SmackDown. And like we predicted Sunday night, the match was not about KO, Sammy, Shinsuke, or Randy Orton. In fact, the match in the ring was pretty awful, but the story was so well told to hold your attention and to get you really on the edge of your seat. The cliffhanger to want to see what happens on Tuesday night SmackDown. And like I said, almost like the new Star Wars movie, it went in the opposite direction of what you thought. I don't know where it's going next based on Shane McMahon on Tuesday night, and that has me excited. How did you react to him not firing Daniel Bryan, but when he heard that he was acting too much like his father, walked away and sort of said, all right, you know, good luck to you. Yeah, it took me from kind of like just watching and, type. you know, we typed the recaps up for CBS Sports, so we have work to do during Raw and SmackDown. So I'm typing it up and what he's saying, and I'm just like, oh, here we go. They're not really following this up. And then not only does Daniel Bryan say, well, fire me, he obviously comes back and calls him Mr. McMahon, or he says, you're about to turn into Mr. McMahon. And that was awesome. I mean, that is what (laughs) that is what you want Daniel Bryan to say in that situation. It's what he should say as someone who, you know, rallied against the authority on Raw. And that's his character. And it's kind of going back to basics for him. It continues to feed into my opinion and belief that he will be returning to the ring in WWE. Um, I don't care what he says in interviews and any of that stuff, but I liked it. It saved for me what I thought was lackluster Tuesday night and what I was pretty okay with on Sunday. What about you? Yeah, it, it, it seems to give it a new angle, a new where is this going. I think the genius part of this, and I know I reference everything and in, in bring it back to the Mega Powers, which is I, I still think it's the greatest story ever told in WWE and in pro wrestling because when Hogan and Savage break up, you're not sure, even though the, the setup is to lead you to believe to be angry at Randy Savage for being jealous, you're not sure if Hogan wasn't actually trying to steal the spotlight and or dabbling with underjuice behind the scenes with Liz. Like in real life, you're actually questioning it. And this feud touched on that in the sense that in the storyline, you're not sure who's being the heel here. Shane McMahon is the babyface who's acting like the heel. Well, Daniel Bryan is the 
babyface who's also doing heel things, but in almost in the name of justice and in the name of what it's right. He's like you said, he's stopping, you know, he's protecting Shane McMahon from himself. And that sort of ambiguity was really interesting because we were actually talking about for a while, is Daniel Bryan turning heel? Is he going to join Sammy and KO? And just when I thought I knew where this angle was going, when Shane did well to explain the situation and warn him of going down the road with KO and Sammy and trusting them too much. That sort of put the the extra layer of storytelling that WWE doesn't do. How many times do we come back here and we go, well, it doesn't explain this. Why did he act that way? That was actually them explaining it. And that almost justified Shane's actions from the night before because, to be honest, I forgot that KO busted open Vince McMahon's forehead and hit a five-star frog splash into that. And it, that should be enough on its own for Shane to be that angry, not to mention that Sammy came and pulled KO off the table at Hell in a Cell. So that brought it full circle to me where this whole time I'm like, wow, Shane might be the guy who's the heel. And now I'm going, wait, he kind of acted in line with how a man would act if somebody did that to their family. Maybe it's Daniel Bryan who's out of line. Adam, you got to give him credit. There, there's, there's layers to this. I mean, look, Kane's still employed by WWE, even though he tombstoned Linda McMahon on that uh, steel grate and Shane tried to burn him alive. Or I don't even remember how that went down. But um, no, I think you're right. They are. We talk about planting seeds and then sowing those seeds. And WWE is doing it in two angles, one on each brand. The Jason Jordan Kurt Angle story on Raw and the Shane McMahon, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, whatever you want to call it, story on SmackDown. And I think in both, there is obviously an end goal. And I think with Raw, we know that end goal. It's going to be Jordan is a whiny bitch, turns on angle. You know, something happens in that regard. We we see it. Rocky Maivia ask, and we'll talk a bit more about that later as well. Kind of teasing the bag here, as you like to say. Don't tease the um, bag. You on, get the mess. Yeah. And then on SmackDown, we obviously are hoping, at least you and I are, that it results in Daniel Bryan returning to the ring, playing off, you know, a lot of the things he's saying publicly. I don't know that that's going to happen. That's obviously our hope. Um but it's working, and kudos to them for doing that, because as bad as SmackDown has been, and it's been really, really, really bad, this has been almost the saving grace of the show. So I have a question for you, BC. We have a bonus DM slide here from at Adam X Parsons. Hit, hit both of us up today. He wants to know if the YEP movement is to continue, do you think they need to add new members to kind of help facilitate the whole thing? He obviously, he's suggesting Mike Bennett. He thinks he'd be tailor-made for it. Underutilized guy with an indie connection to Owens and Zane, who could become a factor. So I want you to answer his question, but I also want you to answer whether the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn part of this is ultimately that important. Like, is Daniel? do you think Daniel Bryan is going to be building a faction or an opposition, or is it more just a means to an end for the Bryan-McMahon rivalry? You know, unfortunately, it's a means to an end, and this week they may have teased that when Sami and KO said, uh, brought up the Randy Orton, the elephant in the room that like you, your actions on Sunday night at Clash of Champions was because you're still sore at Randy Orton from the build to WrestleMania 30. And by the way, this year's WrestleMania going to be back in the Dome in New Orleans. So if they go that synergy, it makes sense. Adam's uh, point and Adam X Parsons point was, was a strong one. I hadn't considered Mike Bennett. And obviously I want more factions in WWE. I would love for Daniel Bryan to be the head of this quasi heel faction. I say quasi because it can be from the point of, of justice of from the point of Daniel Bryan, who's kind of a rebel in real life in certain things. He stands up for the environment, veganism, you know, all this other stuff that it would almost make sense for him to sort of be that sort of quasi heel turn rebel in that sense 
yeah, Mike Bennett would be a great addition. He he's, comes from the Indies. He sort of feels like he could do some comedic work well in here. And maybe if you bring in Maria, then you got some, you know, you, you I mean, you got, you got a lot of that, but you also have like a, a lot of feel, a lot of layers in this faction. But no, it won't happen because WWE doesn't like factions and because it's too good of an idea. Yes, this supports more of what Daniel Bryan will be doing at WrestleMania. Will he be returning? Will he, uh, what's the situation in I don't want to go down the rabbit hole again of, is he going to come back? But, you know, he gave a really telling interview this week with ESPN's Peter Rosenberg during his uh, at Hot 97 radio studios in New York, a lengthy one. And it brought me back to the idea that, yes, he is coming back. And no, I don't think it's going to be in the WWE because he really, it really seems like he's got the proof that his you know, that he has test results that say he can come back. And the only thing that, that the only reason why I don't think he would, and he's basically spelled it out is if he gets a report showing him with enough reason to be scared. And I don't think he's getting that. And I still stand by all my feelings that this art form means more to him than money and even WWE. And he's such a natural rebel that if I'm WWE, Adam, I mean, you got to book something that makes him happy. That gives him what he wants because He's going to go elsewhere. I really believe that's in him. So hopefully this is all a part of a larger ruse where WWE is taking the real life situation and storyline and and teasing us and tricking us and setting us up to believe that he will leave when his contract is up next September. And instead, we get either a mania match or him his involvement in a mania match, which triggers a return down the line. They're either doing one of two things. They're setting up his exit. You know, he they said, look, we're not clearing you. It's not going to happen. Um, let's get you out of here with a ridiculous storyline because the fans love you. They deserve it. You deserve it. Whatever. So they're either doing that or they're setting up a tremendous return. It's one extreme or the other. I don't WWE is dumb all the time. They make dumb decisions, dumb bookings, but usually they're not stupid. They don't let Dolph Ziggler walk. You know, they, they give guys reasons to resign when they need to. Um, and I think ultimately they have to say to themselves, look, we have to look out for Daniel Bryan's best interests, obviously. Health is the number one concern. There's some type of concussion lawsuit or a CTE lawsuit going on. They can't put themselves in legal jeopardy, so on and so forth. But if they have 15 doctors where they say to Daniel, you need to find 10 respected physicians that approve you to compete in the squared circle versus our one, or they just change their doctor. They can do that. <laughs> See a maroon. Talk to someone. Talk, talk to you later. How about Doctor um, George Sohorius? Is he still around? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, they can get him back in the squared circle at on a limited schedule. Him wrestling in a way, and and you saw it if you watched that Total Bella show. He's been trying out some ways to wrestle that puts himself at less risk. I, I just don't think ultimately he leaves. I think if he wrestles, it's going to be in WWE. He knows the stage is big enough. The fans are there. The revolution is nice that you like to talk about, but it. it He's moved past the Indies. Guys that have already moved past it, it's tough for them to go back. And I don't think he's moved past it. I think that, like, he talked, you know, just for that specific interview with Roseberg, he talked about how much he, the things he hates about the business, like the travel and, and, all, and the speaking, you know, the, the being relying on all mic work and not being in the ring are all the things he's doing right now in this role with WWE, which doesn't make him happy. So I, I do think, here's, I just think we're set up for a best-case scenario because I think either he's joining the revolution and coming back, or WWE is going to 
cushion his comeback and give him some form and reason to be happy with, and we're going to benefit because it's going to be some great mania reveal or some great build because this is a real story that they're telling with Shane, just like the yeah. Jason Jordan Kurt Angle is a real story, meaning six nine a year. You know, that's Mega Powers like to tell a story over a full year. They don't do that in WWE. So I feel like either way, Adam, we're going to win, whether we think we know he's coming back in WWE or not, or whether they're tricking us or not. We're going to win. This is great. I'm just going to one point to this. Guy doesn't like traveling. Right now he, like, travels Tuesdays and occasional pay-per-views, and it stays in the United States. So you want him going four, five, six days away from his newborn kid overseas to Japan to wrestle, put his life on the line. Well, and then, yeah, and then but, go to Poughkeepsie and do a, a house show for Ring of Honor. Like, there's you, they, they if, control if, you if control your own dates, thing. you control your own travel, and also Bree's behind it. Bree is behind him coming back, so that means something. Well, anyway, we can't hang out in Daniel Bryan forever. The final uh, topic in our main event. I wanted to hit this quickly because I think it's it's too important not to hit off the top. It was the outside the ring story of the week. When uh, sort of an unknown in the in the wrestling reporting game, Brad Shepard came out with that Vince McMahon and the NFL and the XFL, excuse me, are, are going to make a comeback that we will see this league again. And when Deadspin reached out to WWE to see if this was true, sort of without almost without needing to, you would seem they came back and said Vince is going to self finance a company called Alpha Entertainment, and he could be interested in pro football as part of that. This has a lot of legs and layers in what it could mean for WWE. Now, off the top, the reaction to an XFL reboot, like nostalgia-wise, it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, let, that'd be great, right? Maybe they can fix the errors of the first time around. Maybe it's a fertile time with you know the NFL's issues right now to jump in. But that, to me, is almost like the secondary story. Like As much as I love the nostalgia for that, and by the way, I have two replica XFL jerseys in my closet. I'd love to wear them again for nostalgic purposes. But I almost don't care about that as much, nor do I think it'll actually work i'm more concerned about what this means for vince's future in the company his the financial future of what money they're going to put into wrestling and what they're not because i'm not convinced that vince it's like you can argue that vince being distracted by another football project is going to be bad for business just like you can argue that if you get vince away from the book that the that the angles could be the best we've ever seen because of the frustrations we have under the Vince mindset. You cover football for a living just as much as as, as wrestling here. Where do you stand uh, on what this actually means? Where are we going here? Because it didn't feel like WWE had to release any info on this. No, they could have just said we don't have a statement at this time. Um, I think that is an interesting development there. So let me start off by saying I was a fan of the XFL when it came out. It was I was the right demographic at the time. I thought it was underrated. The football got so much better as the year went on. And I think there is a landscape for a competitor, probably in the offseason, to the NFL. Um, and Vince McMahon, it has been made clear, is the guy who wants to do that. Now, it failed, and NBC took its lumps. But Vince has kind of said, you know, Vince... Well, Vince never threw Vince, in the towel, let's be honest. He never that. did. He never did, and he doesn't like to fail. So he may see this as his last shot at doing something successful outside WWE. And you know with Vince... Let's be honest. Everything he does outside of WWE doesn't generally work. He he can do wrestling. He's great. Uh, but everything else kind of fails. So I think more than anything, Alpha Entertainment. And by the way, greatest name for a Vince McMahon owned company. Like what else? Like t outside of Titan Sports, Alpha Entertainment is like <laughs> up there. It's a plus, man. So kudos to him on that. Um, I think it's more than anything to separate whatever he's going to do from WWE for investor purposes, for the stock market, because they don't want 
their stock price to take a massive tumble True. because Vince wants to go into football. So I think that's really what we're seeing here more than anything else. Um, for WWE to release that statement, there has to be something behind it, whether it's a Vince McMahon thing, whether he's joining with other people and he's just a part of it, or whether it's surrounding that company. I don't know. I think it's too early to kind of say and speculate, but like, I'm down. Like, give All me right, an uh, the- NFL competitor. Let Vince McMahon run it. Let him learn from his mistakes. Uh, just to kind of close on this, if you're a fan like me of WWE who seems to blame Vince for some of the things you don't like today that are sort of Vince-isms, that he's the, it's a bottleneck company where he's the guy at the end of the line stamping everything and, and great ideas die on the on the cutting floor or so we think, I always assume like everybody else that uh, this is a more uh, you know a morbid comment, but he's going to die in office because he's a, such a hard worker. He loves this. He, his life is this. If this football thing could be the distraction enough to take him away from that book, like I mentioned, the take him away from the lead creative, this really could be the best thing to take the company to that next level, to take the fear away from the stockholders. And by the way, there is that fear. When Vince McMahon got hurt lifting weights a year ago, WWE put out a statement that said he's going to be okay so the stockholders don't panic and start selling. So it's sort of like if you put the book in Triple H's fans, which we talk about on this show a lot, and let him turn WWE into the kind of style that happens in NXT, which is what we talked to him about last week and really went into detail about. I don't see how WWE can't increase their profits and increase their fan base and go in the next direction. Maybe you can tell me that, hey, Campbell, don't you get it? T-shirt sales are what mattered. TV deals are what matter. Not so much even ratings and not so much creative is actually what matters. I still say, if you please fans and create new ones and constantly make them happy... How is it not going to get you to the same place financially at the end if this leads to Triple H on the book? And I know there's that elephant in the room. His name is Shane McMahon. How's that uneasy relationship going to work? But if this leads to Trips and Steph on the book, are you kidding me? We could be seeing a real renaissance. And it could also just be Vince deciding, like, okay, WrestleMania's coming up. Been doing it 34 years, plus however long before that. It's just time. Like, there, you have to, at some point, step away. It doesn't mean... He's going to be divested from control in WWE and maybe major. Maybe he still is involved in the company's biggest storylines. But I think there's an opportunity here for Vince to kind of say, say, OK, kids, it's on you now. I've made this for you. I have built this for you. It's time because he is. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's a parent, but he's also very paternal in how he looks at his wrestlers and his company, just as he does his children. And you can and, argue that he'll never let go of the wheel ever yeah, if he's still but alive. Maybe this but is a way, but maybe this is a way to kind of put it on cruise control a little bit and yeah. say, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my hands on the wheel, but my foot's off the gas. I mean, you had mentioned something to me offline. Maybe just buy an NFL team. Maybe that'll fill that same hole, right? Carolina Panthers are available for sale. All right, BC. Enough of the main event. Let's move on to my favorite segment of the show: Hero or Zero. All right, where's the big dog? Oh, wow, that's just an, ab- an abject failure I need, right there. I need the big dog to move on. Big dog. Yes, okay. yes. All right, no Nick today, so no judging from me, BC. Let's start it off with you. Dolph Ziggler wins the United States Championship at Clash of Champions. You and I popped for that, and then Tuesday night on SmackDown, goes into the ring, tells the fans they don't deserve him, drops the title in the middle of the ring, and walks out to silence. Hero or zero? Uh, an odd hero. I didn't really get it, but I like it. I like it 
that Dolph won this match. I like it that it almost supports the idea that if you don't like your lot in in WWE or the UFC or wherever it is you work in life, speak up about it. Say you want more. Say there's you're better than this. There's more for you to do. It seems like they've rewarded that. He's got the belt, and now he's got what seems to be an interesting sort of story moving forward. And the best thing about it to me is that it's touching on real life. So maybe he's attacking the fans with the same venom he really has for Vince McMahon and creative. It's possible. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. It's possible. But at least it's mirroring what's going to happen in real life, and it's bringing out his real passion. So let's see where it goes, because he's still, you know what he's still got, Adam? He's still got it. Big time. Big time. Oh, Dolph Ziggler has it. You can bet your ass he does, and you saw it not just Sunday in the ring, you saw a ton of it. You saw it Tuesday night on the mic, and he delivers every single time he is allowed to cut a promo, either seemingly off the cuff or with bullet points and not scripted out for him. Dolph Ziggler is what WWE has always been about. In-ring, mic work, character altogether. He's finally being given the opportunity to show it. They're obviously playing against you know the fans and news reports that his contract's coming up soon and, and him wanting to leave. I hope this is not an exit storyline for him, although I would understand if it is, and it would be a great way for him to go. I'm not talking about this particular segment. I'm talking in the coming weeks, but I like him as champion. He's proven that the belt looks good on him, and he can carry the mid-card title. Whether he's a transitional champion or not, they're doing a storyline with Dolph Ziggler, and it's the number two thing going on SmackDown hero for me. Adam, this week, number two, uh, Dean Ambrose appeared to injure his right triceps on a suicide dive from Seth Rollins on Raw during their, uh, was that a, a six-man tag? I'm so worn down by these repeated matches. Was that a six-man tag? Um, I don't even remember. Or was it a regular tag team? Anyway. Who the third man? I don't, I don't even remember at this point. Uh, Raw sort of pump fake like it was real. Then it felt storyline when in the locker room, in the backstage afterwards, they were attacked by the bar. Rollins thrown into the wall and... Dean had his arm inside of a road case. So, did you get a feeling WWE might have been planting the seeds the way that broke down toward an eventual Shield breakup, or am I pushing too far? Hero Zero to that idea that there's a lot more to this than Dean may or may not be injured in real life. So my hope when it happened, and by the way, it was a six-man tag with Jason Jordan and Samoa Joe. My hope when it happened was Hero that they were pointing towards this because I've said on this podcast, I've told you, I've told Nick, I think Dean Ambrose is the one who turns heel on Seth Rollins and possibly breaking his arm and injuring him and being crazy and wild with his suicide dives gives Ambrose a reason to start turning on Seth Rollins. But it's actually going to be a zero here because it turns out this is a legitimate elbow injury for him. So either they are planting the seeds and they're using a legitimate injury to take him out of action, make it uh, Seth Rollins fault and kind of continue it ongoing from here. Or it's just convenient, and they're leaving, and that's kind of what happened. So I'm giving it a zero because I don't know that that's the direction they're going. But if it is, that would be a hero for me. What yeah, I'm right on with everything you said right there. I wonder if it's like when Braun Strowman had elbow surgery earlier this year, and to send him to write him off, they they brutally destroyed his other arm. So I wonder if that was probably the situation. But oh come on, you know I hope that this is the beginning of a split and that there's some juice here because you know what. I don't like when people do suicide dives into their own into their own teammates. I don't like when people do aerial moves that make no sense, like Clash of Champions, when Naomi springboarded off the ropes into all the lumberjacks. What does she gain by that? She's a lumberjack in a match that doesn't matter. Different argument, different day. We got to move on. All right, up next, the Young Bucks kind of 
raised some ire of, of smart wrestling fans and raised some applause from other ones on Twitter recently when they had a super kick gymnastics type of spot in a Ring of Honor event, kind of blew up the internet. Everyone from UFC champ Daniel Cormier to former WWE manager Jim Cornette has railed against it. Vince Russo was extremely upset, creating tons of debates about the evolution of today's product and what is and what is not professional wrestling. So BC, hero or zero on you wanting a spot like this in a professional wrestling match and also hero zero on whether this is professional wrestling (laughs) or is it something else entirely? I'm going to say hero. Look, it's not exactly my cup of tea, right? When I saw this video, I did kind of chuckle at it because I like the lengths that they went to sort of be tongue-in-cheek almost in the way that they're putting these dropkick sequences together where they're all touching feet and sort of, you know, it's like clashing swords together, right? It's not my cup of tea in the sense that I prefer wrestling to be a little bit more physical and real-based, but the whole you know, reaction from from old timers and old school people has did surprise me a little bit because I think there's room in wrestling for this. Wrestling is evolving to mean different things. And anybody that watched that great feud a year and a half ago between Ricochet and Will Ospreay, which some people thought it also ruined the business. Some people thought it was the beginning of where things going, where the athleticism is so out of control and so amazing that you script moves to, to coincide with that. And yes, these are the type of moves that can only happen if two people are working together to make it to make these moves happen. So it sort of takes away the real look. I think there's room for it. It's not my favorite thing, but I think the reaction of all these people is really out of control. And I thought Cody Rhodes' reactionary tweet at Daniel Cormier was very interesting when he said, quote, it's not pathetic. The paying audience enjoyed it. UFC is thriving and pro wrestling has been going strong since 1920. Besides, most of y'all ask Hunter for a job when the wheels fall off anyway, and most are on the comp list at Staples. So lay the F off. End quote. Cody coming in uh, uh, high and hard there on DC, basically being like, you might be calling up Triple H when your UFC's career is done anyway to try to get a guest spot, so stop crapping on this. No, I don't hate it, but I don't really love it. There's room for it. Look, if there's room for Bray Wyatt dressing up like a monster, like it's 1987, then there's room for this. Is there room in the business for this business of professional wrestling? No, there's not. This is a zero. Look, there's a difference between something being choreographed which wrestling is, and something basically being gymnastics and performance art in a way, which is what this spot was. I'm not down for that. I like the Young Bucks on the mic. I like them in being the elite, the series. I think they're genius, almost mastermind businessmen in the professional wrestling industry. I am not a fan of them in the ring. I'm not a fan of them tongue-in-cheek biting everyone else's gimmick and then saying that's okay because they're being tongue-in-cheek about it. That doesn't work for me. Overusing the super kick, I'm fine with that. That's part of their gimmick. Spots like this make them look bad, and I think it makes professional wrestling look bad. And look, Vince Russo, Russo since he's been out of the booking business, and he's been now, now he's a radio guy, a podcast guy, he has a voice on Twitter, he says a lot of stuff I don't agree with. Let's just say that lightly. But he said this, and I do agree with it, The issue is the same I've been saying since day one. Label this something other than professional wrestling and all will be well. Some people dig it and that's cool, but it's certainly not the business of professional wrestling that has been built throughout many of our lifetimes. I agree with that. That's not professional wrestling. Is it athletic? Yes, but it's not telling a story. It's not getting me engaged and it's not pretending 
that it's an actual sport and there's an athletic contest. This is saying, hey, guys, we choreograph something. Enjoy it and mark out for us. Zero Young Bucks, zero everyone wow. else match. Zero, zero. I'm not zero. sure I expect to see that come. It sounds like you have a. It sounds like you're taking it out on the on the young bucks when it. It's like I. Well, they're masterminds I, of it. I mean, it's it, that spot doesn't happen without them. I may so feel it's, like it's I'm their decision. being hypocritical in saying this, but like this is where Nick Costas would come in and be like, "Hey guys, it's fake." Like I know that's where you would come in, and I prefer my wrestling to look real. I prefer my wrestling to look like NJPW, where I actually think people are hurting each other. But again, I just think like. There, if there's room for like ridiculous comedic segments backstage on Raw, then there's room for this. And this is really just to get a clap from the crowd. It's a little spot during the middle of the match to showcase athleticism. And but it wasn't of- even. But it wasn't even in the flow of the match. Like you could, you could see it happened once. It happened twice. And and watch this on Twitter. We'll tweet out a link so you guys can see what we're talking about. But it happened twice. Happened three times. And you're like, all right, here we go. And then they all paused, looked at each other. And did it in a choreographed manner. Like, it was so obviously not part of the match. And when it gets to that, you're go- I think you're going overboard. And I'm going to make that the last word. I'm also going to make Handsome Nick weigh in on this on Twitter so you guys can all see his opinion. Because I don't necessarily agree with you. I don't think he's going to agree with you, BC. All right, we can go back and forth on this all the way. I, I do love, though, that it did bring out the crotchety response from the old guard. But moving on here, number four, Adam. The Revival made a surprise return on Raw this week as Scott Dawson recovered from the biceps injury that kept him out since August. And it came on the same night, and this is where I kind of always jump in and get angry, that Ambrose and Rollins squared off against some version of the bar for what seemed like the 400th consecutive episode of Raw. So hero to zero on the state of the Raw tag division when you consider that Ambrose and Rollins are facing Cesaro and Sheamus every single damn week. Um, The state of the division is a zero. The return of the revival is a hero. But they're not enough of a return to go ahead and save this division. They're fine. I like them. I think they have a place on the main roster and a place as future champions. I alluded to this earlier. What WWE really needs to do is send a couple singles main event upper mid-card singles performers over to SmackDown and send a couple tag teams from SmackDown over to Raw. And you will have a balance there. That's really nice because right now on SmackDown, you legitimately have like five teams that could hold the titles and be believable doing it. And on Raw, you have two. And one of them has an injured competitor right now. So there needs to be some no. work to this tag team division. So it's a, it's a zero for me, um, the division as a whole. But I like the Revival, and I'm happy that they're back. That's a All right, let me hit you with this. There's not two good teams. There's a, the Good Brothers. There's Gallows and Anderson who never get used. The only time they're used on Raw is to, like, sell products for, for hot the holidays for, like, a WWEshop.com exclusive in between. The Revival helps matters, but Gallows and Anderson should be getting a major push here. There are more teams. There was a stat on Reddit that in the last five months, Seth Rollins has faced either Cesaro, Sheamus, or both on Raw. 78% of the time he's been on TV. Like, this is just, like, lazy booking. I know these guys produce good matches together in any form. You can roll them out for 20-plus minutes. But Raw has more resources. It always has more resources than it needs. And they just it's just, like, the same crap. It's The return of the rival, revival is a hero, but the core of this is it's a zero that we keep seeing the same thing. I know we shouldn't expect much in December, but still, it's like, come on. Yeah, but, I mean, Gallows and Anderson are great, but they're not on TV, and they're not they don't have characters, so... Like, just because they call people nerds and are on TV occasionally to do a job, 
I don't consider them part of the division when we but don't they see them. Be. That, like, but, what does Vince have against these guys? So you're right about that. But on SmackDown, we see these tag teams. There are four. There were just there was a fatal four way tag team match, and that didn't include the Bludgeon Brothers, who are still on that brand and are being featured. So those are five tag teams just there that are capable of winning the title. Gallows and Anderson aren't even on TV. Even if you put them on, that's three. And two of them have just feuded for three months. So you, you have to have more than that. I think my trade works. BC, let's move on to number five here. Hideo Itami made his debut not Tuesday night on 205 Live, as we expected, but Monday night on Raw, saving Finn Balor in a match as he was getting beat down by the remaining members, or the only two members of the Miz Taraj with Miz off of TV right now. If you remember, Finn Balor actually made his debut on NXT by helping out uh, Hideo Itami as a surprise tag team partner. So what do you think of Hideo Itami's first two days in WWE, both on Raw with Finn Balor and then on 205 Live in his first match, a squash win over Colin Delaney? I kind of have to give it a zero, and I hate doing this because I've said this a million times. I love Atami. He was one of those guys from that early 2015 NXT class that like really, really got me back into day-to-day, minute-to-minute being a wrestling fan because I thought that he was doing a style that that rubbed me the right way that was different, but I, he just hasn't recovered from these two major injuries. His return looks sloppy. I, I hate to be a body guy, but his body didn't didn't look like, like he was ready for that kind of push. This felt like WWE was kind of cashing him out, to be really honest with you. When he went for that GTS on Raw, it was very sloppy. It was not impressive. That should have been a moment because, you know, he created that move and gave it to Punk. He also, Daniel Bryan was inspired by by Itami's MMA kicks, which they did mention on Raw. But he, everything he did on both nights really was sloppy and unimpressive. And when you're sloppy and unimpressive, you lead to getting buried and you lead to getting let go. I don't see a bright a future for Hideo Itami in WWE. And I don't know if it's just not recovering from those injuries. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't have the same spark. So it felt like a zero for a guy that I have no reason but not but to love. I love everything about him except for who he is in the last two years. So everything you said I agree with completely. Like in a, in a manner of which I don't even have much of a response here. But I'm going to disagree on the hero or zero rating. I'm going to give him a hero for this reason. On the main roster, everything you just said doesn't work. Like, it's over for him, kind of, unfortunately. But on 205 Live, he has a chance to be a star and really make a good impression on that show and help rehabilitate a brand that I've written off for the entire year and you've kind of come around to writing off a little bit more recently. So I think on 205 Live, yeah, it might work for him. It might be his last chance to make a good impression, and I'm also going to give a hero for WWE finally mixing a cruiserweight talent with the main roster. Like, it took Hideo Itami for them to do it. Hero on that. Hero on Itami on 205 Live. But overall, like, yeah, it's probably a zero. It's probably done. That'll wrap up Hero Zero. Guest of the week time. Very excited to talk to Raw General Manager Kurt Angle ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Red Brand. Let's throw it right to the WWE Hall of Famer. Enjoy. Now stepping into the In This Corner podcast, WWE Hall of Famer, Raw General Manager, oh yeah, Kurt Angle, oh Captain America, call him whatever you want. He's here with us this week to talk about the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw, which will emanate from dual sites in New York City, Monday, January 22nd, and they're live on the USA Network at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Tickets right now available for both events at all Ticketmaster outlets. Kurt, right off the top. 25 years for Raw. I mean, this is this is pretty insane considering 
it's come a long way from the 1993 debut of the show, predating your time as a professional wrestler. How has this show been able to span multiple eras and still entertain and draw big ratings like this? I, I think that they, uh, they've been able to roll with the punches. Um, you know, you look at how it was in the late 90s, uh, more character development, you know, it, it, I'll give you the example. You know, you had Stone Cold, Tuvas, The Rock, The Undertaker, and you had you had Val Venus, who was a porn star, and then you had you know, <laughs> uh, and and you had Godfather, who was a pimp. Um, it, it was just more character driven back then, and the fans enjoyed that. But as the ruthless aggression era and this era today, uh, as we rolled into that, fans started demanding better matches, more quality matches. Um, more athleticism. Uh, and hence, that's why the women doing better. You have the 205 Live division. Even the heavyweight division is, is better today uh, than it was back then. But then, uh, I think that WWE has been able to uh, cater to what the fans want. And uh, they continue to do that. And uh, continue to make them happy. Well, Kurt, this uh, 25th anniversary show, interesting setup. We're going to have part of it at the Barclays Centers in, Br- in Brooklyn, part of it at the Manhattan Center in New York City, which has a lot of historical connection with Raw and the WWE. What can fans expect from this? I mean, we're going to get some historical drop-ins from some of the old legends. What's going to happen here on January 22nd? I sure would hope so. I think uh, what uh, the fans deserve and what the Raw 25th anniversary deserves there's uh, a lot of blasts from the past. Uh, uh, wrestlers and characters that really made a huge impact on the sport. Um, you know, you're obviously going to see a, a lot. I'm sure they're going to uh, pull out all stops. I, 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 and I'm also sure that they're going to have a lot of different celebrities there uh, that have been a part of the WWE in the past. So it's, I know this will be our best show. And I, if I know Vince McMahon, he's going to, He's going to do everything he can possible to make it very memorable. Can't wait to see what happens from there. I like something you said earlier about how wrestling has changed during this 25 years of Raw, how the fans today demand different type of matches. We're seeing, you know, from from certain experts that do, let's say, rating systems, we're seeing more five-star matches today than ever before. You can argue that the quality of each match on regular TV, night to night, is better than ever before. Some some legends will counter maybe there's not as much storytelling. Where do you sort of fit in on how you compare the product in-ring today to back in your prime and even before then? Well, back then, like I said before, it was more character-driven. Uh, I would say there were more times for pre-taped promos. Um, the matches were maybe a little bit shorter, uh, and back then they started out slower. Uh you know, with the headlocks and the tackles. And, uh, nowadays, they, they get moving pretty quickly. So there, there's a big difference between uh, today and in and, and, and the past. And, uh, I, you know, uh, the, the wrestling isn't better now. It's just more athletically inclined. So uh, you're, you're seeing a lot more different stunts that you didn't see in the past, uh, or, or a lot more of them than you would, would have in the past. But... Um, uh, you know, the wrestling, I think, is uh, has been better than ever been right now. And uh, uh, there's just a lot of great athletes in there that uh, display so many incredible stunts that uh, uh, it makes it makes Raw a very special watch. A uh, big part of the success of Raw this calendar year, of course, has been your return, Kurt, and the impact that it has made. 
and throughout this return for you from the Hall of Fame until now in a lot of interviews, we've asked you how you've changed since your time leaving the company and all the personal, uh, you know, setbacks and growths you've went for. But I'm curious to see now that you're back in the fold, how has WWE changed in the decade you've been away? Um, for me personally, they're catering to the talent, to the athletes now. There's, uh, you know, you when you come here, they, they have everything that you could possibly need, uh, you know, from a trainer to a masseuse, to, uh, catering all day and all night. Um, uh, they, they have, uh, uh, you know, they, they have the drug testing, the wellness policy, uh, the, the, the physical to, to, to uh, be able to be clear to wrestle is incredibly tough. Um, so um, they're making sure the athletes don't make the mistakes of uh, wrestlers from uh, prior years. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, the drug test is important. Here, there's a no tolerance policy, so zero tolerance. Uh, you know, the, the physical is very difficult to pass. Uh, you know, you have the uh, fitness and wellness policy. Uh, they give these guys time to go train during the day. Uh, once you get to the arena, you can go leave the arena and go to the gym. Uh, it's just really much more catered for the athletes to make sure that they have healthy, uh, longer careers. Very, very interesting stuff there. Uh, Kurt, you're one of the athletes these days, too. You may be 49, but you still got it. You still bring it. We, of course, saw a very surprised return due to some last-minute illnesses when you came back at TLC. You joined the Shield. I don't know if there were plans for you to come back that were going to take place months in the future, but this was a fast-forward. Talk to us about how much time you, you had to prepare, where you were mentally. How, how big was this for you to come back like that last minute? Well, uh, you know, Vince needed need a big name. Uh, you know, with Roman Reigns out, you know, the Shield being uh, as huge as they are, and the fans wanting to see that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of fans are still disappointed with me, but, uh, you know, and it wasn't Roman Reigns. Um, Vince had to make a choice, and uh, he was trying to think of the biggest name possible to bring uh, to try to make the fans at least, you know, content and satisfied. So he asked me, and, um, you know, I, I was happy to go in and you know, do it. Uh, what's ironic is I just took the physical the week before, uh, and I think they were getting ready to utilize the survivor series, but I had to go a month early. So there wasn't a lot of time for me to get ready. Um, you know, uh, I didn't have to do a lot, uh, so it was it was it was okay. I mean, uh, I was just happy to be able to uh, help uh, the WWE when they when they meet me in a time where uh, things were going to get a little tough. So uh, I, I felt very um, honored to be a part of the show that night and do whatever I could do to. Uh, you know, to, to add to uh, uh, to the show to make sure that he's there. Did you surprise yourself at any sort of butterflies you felt? Like, where were you that night mentally? You know, it's knowing that you didn't expect this to happen, and now you're not just coming back. You're part of the Shield. I mean, this this was a main event. This was a giant deal. Uh, I was okay. I've been wrestling, uh, you know, last year. I, I haven't been... Uh, you know, I, I might have been hidden to the WWE universe, but I've been wrestling the last 12 years. Uh, I actually wrestled my last match was uh, April um, this uh, this past uh, this past April. So it wasn't that long ago that I wasn't wrestling. Uh, so I, I wasn't um, nervous about what I could do in the ring, or you know, I knew it was going to be limited, and uh, 
You know, I knew they were going to start me out slowly. So uh, even at Survivor Series, I didn't have to do a lot there. Uh, but, I, but I intend on doing a lot more during the future. So I had to gear it up and start training harder and getting ready for my body to be in that ring more consistently. Sure. I want to close, Curry, asking you about Jason Jordan. This has been so much fun watching you two work together because this is one of those storylines we don't see a lot of these days where it's so stretched out. You know, there's the the teases so far in advance. Right now, it seems like we're in the middle of it. Fans aren't sure where it's going, but they're excited to see. What has this been like for you working with Jason Jordan, a guy who we knew was good, but I'm not sure, Kurt, we knew was this good in what he's been doing the last few weeks? Well, I, I knew Jason had the ability to do it. Um, I, I I didn't know if he would have the ability to carry the storyline. I knew I knew what he could do in the ring. I wasn't concerned about the band saying, "Oh man, this guy's actually pretty damn good." Because uh, we already knew that, but we, we were hoping that his character. And, and you know what's crazy? Everything that the fans have gone through the past three or four months. Uh, you know, most of the fans can't stand him. Uh, and and a lot of fans say he's getting the wrong kind of heat because I really don't like him for real. And so you know, um, everything that occurred up until now, Vince already knew was how they were going to react. Uh, so this has been working. And uh, as many fans will say, it's not working. You know, get rid of them. Uh, you know, I'm not buying it. Whatever. Uh, now as the storyline starting to span out and, and, and start uh, developing further, uh, it was a good pick. Uh, Jason's doing a great job. Uh, he, he's carrying the storyline very well. And, uh, and when he gets in that ring, uh, he's having some incredible matches. So uh, I'm just really proud of him. I think he's done an excellent job. And uh, we're going to see where it goes from here. But it should be pretty intriguing. And quickly, Kurt, there's already like Rocky Maya via comparisons in, in how Jason's coming out. Yeah. Are you feeling that, that same feeling behind the scenes watching this? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we knew, uh, I knew personally that uh, this is going to make the fans completely sick to their stomach. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't concerned about how it was going to develop and where it was going to go from here and where it's going to go from here on. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a pretty cool storyline, and uh, I think a lot of fans are gonna say, you know what, this kid deserves to be in the main event level. Um, he, he, he is developing every single week. He's getting better and better. His promos and pre-tapes are getting better. His in-ring ability. Um, I said this before, and I will say it again. He's got to be in the top three or the top five in-ring performers. Uh, from an athletic standpoint right now today. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me, but continue to watch him and see what he can do, and you will see uh, what I'm talking about here in the near future. Well, this is arguably the hottest storyline going in the WWE today, so it's going to be fun. And by the way, I know we talked a lot about how good he is. Kurt, you're doing some of the best mic work of your entire career, too, so let's not undersell that. You're, you're carrying your own load well, in, in a major way. Right I don't now. have a choice. That's what you have right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kurt Angle, great talking to you. The 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw, January 22nd, live on the USA Network. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Tickets available at Ticketmaster Outlets for the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, for the Manhattan Center in NYC. Kurt, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck moving forward. Can't wait to see you back out there. 
Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good Christmas. Special thanks once again to Kurt Angle. Adam, good stuff there in how much he's putting over Jason Jordan. And like we talk about each week to week, it's deserved. And it's good to sort of see the comments about Vince that it's almost like where Rocky Maivia failed, they're trying to recreate that to great success. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, they're using the failure of Maivia as the template for the success of Jordan. I think that's brilliant. You, I, Nick, we all have discussed this ad nauseum on this podcast. And I was glad he gave it justification and he gave it credence. And he said, you know what? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that is what's happening. Um, because we can throw out a lot of crap, and we do. And sometimes we're right, or I'm always right, but sometimes you guys are right. Most of the time, we can be a little bit wrong or we can be a little too rash. But in this case, like we're on the, we're on the right page here, and I'm glad to see that it's working with Jordan, and he sees it working with Jordan because no one would know better than Kurt Angle. I like that he did drop a WWE for us in there, which <laughs> I did not yeah. get the chance to ask him about, nor do I know if I would have had the guts in that moment. I wish I would have. But one more thing, you know, the little reveal that his comeback at TLC may have only came on perfect timing where he was cleared the day before from his physical, which he said was a long process, and it looked like they were going to clear him for a Survivor Series. He mentioned that he expects to you know, be back in the ring a lot in the future. Here's where I'm just going to kind of play devil's advocate. Do we want Kurt Angle back in the ring a lot in the future? I kind of, like I want him at Mania. I'd like to see him get that full circle comeback moment. And I know that maybe it's hard to judge him on his first two times back because it looked like he had an injured leg and it's also he was sort of rushed back into it. I don't know if he's a legend that I want to see a lot of. I'd rather see him when it makes sense, when it's special, when it's coinciding with this really good storyline. Well, he looked washed in that TLC match. But again, short notice, not really in top-notch ring shape um, in that type of match. Like That was understandable. I had no problem with that. I thought he looked much better at Survivor Series, which, as you kind of noted, was his seemed to be his planned return. I think by often and regular, he doesn't mean he's going to be wrestling Monday nights on Raw. He may have like one Raw match over the next calendar year. I think he's going to be working a Triple H uh, slash Shane McMahon wrestling schedule. You see him three to four times a year. Hopefully, and for good reason, um, you you want that Triple H angle match at some point. I want that, too. Uh, I think there's potential with other legends that might make, you know, here and there appearances. You could see an angle Roman Reigns type of match at some point. For well, that's what I want. Like, I don't know if I want reason. him Triple H. I don't want him against legends. I want right. him against young guys who can get the rub and then yeah. they can make him look really good. Yeah. And that's kind of where it would be maybe a little opposite Triple H, where Triple H sometimes puts guys over, doesn't always. Maybe Angle always does and plays that Chris Jericho role from a couple years ago. He came back for a year, put like six dudes over. I think that's what we're going to see from him. I don't think you're going to see the Chris Jericho schedule that we had this past year where he seemingly wrestled every week and was on every pay-per-view. I don't think that's going to happen. Just in close, he, he gave me like almost a – he almost pissed on me. He gave me a laugh when I sort of – I took a chance saying, hey, you know, any butterflies when you came back – because you came back so quickly when you didn't <laughs> right. see it coming, and you came back basically filling Roman Reigns' spot, I was hoping maybe he would say, you know, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on the stage. Instead, he gave me the, are you kidding me? Have you read my, have you seen my resume? I'm in the Hall of Fame. Have you looked me up on YouTube? It was almost like I had to eat it and just go, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. You're and right. also it was, hey, just because I haven't been in WWE doesn't mean I haven't been wrestling, Brian. It was that type of thing, too. I thought that was funny. He was basically like, hey, Brian. You don't like what I'm saying? Well, you can suck my... Yeah, not not appropriate whatsoever. It's time, Adam. It's really 
week to week my favorite segment because I love for the people to have their voice. The show is for the people, by the people. So let's hear from some people as we do some DM slides. All right, BC, let's start off with Chase Sharkfin. Like, is that Chase? Is that actually your last name or is that? It uh, can't be your last name. No way. But look but at this ad. I what? think it's a, it's at Mike Caroglio. So Chase oh, Sharkfin's got to be his pro wrestling name. That's uh, there are worse gimmicks that have existed than Sharkfin, and if that's a reference to something, Chase, then I completely went right over my head. Maybe anyway, it's a reference quarter- to this. I'm not the shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man, John Tanta, a 500 pound man. Shout out to Chase Sharkfin. <laughs> All right, Chase, here's your here's your DM for BC to answer. I couldn't stop laughing during that segment between the New Day and Rusev and Aiden English on SmackDown. It was legitimately funny. I can't remember the last time that I laughed so hard during a wrestling segment. Can you guys recall the last time a wrestling segment made you laugh really hard? There's been a few times where it's like it's not just a chuckle, it's like legit laugh out loud. Maybe maybe portions of that festival of friendship earlier this year, which we forget Gilbert came out as like a as like a Goldberg tribute there. I mean, there's been some moments there. I think though the real spirit of this question is not necessarily what has made you laugh, but can we stop for a moment and just give Rusev the recognition that he deserves? The dude is so over and it's like everything he touches is comedic gold but Adam he's so damn over that the like you can hear the crowd noise just piercing through you and I don't always love the latest gimmick of the new day the ice cream thing I thought they they reached too far they jumped the shark on that but this pancake thing is pulling me back in when they're sticking pancakes <laughs> in people's mouths and the crowd's cheering for we want pancakes so that all combined that was a heck of a segment and I think a great deal of that is because Rusev is so great yeah, I'm going to stick with that part of this as well. First of all, who would have thought Aiden English would have gotten over with this gimmick coming out of the split of that tag? Like, never would have guessed it. Good for him. Like, he has gotten himself over. Rusev is so damn over. And he was over as, quote-unquote, handsome Rusev a couple months ago. Um, when, when, when he was doing his holdout from SmackDown and he, like, demanded a, t- a title match for him to come back, I was really excited. And the fans were, too. They never followed through on that. I'm okay with him doing what he's doing now, the comedy angle. I want to see Rusev back, not necessarily as a foreign heel, but I I want him back in a role where he speaks. He doesn't have to be saddled by English. Not that English is bringing him down, but I want him to be a featured player on SmackDown. He should have been in the main event spot that Jinder Mahal got this past year. Yeah, and who would have, but who would have thought this comedic turn when he lost Lana and they took him away from her? I thought that was such a horrific position decision. I never would have guessed he would rotate into a guy that you could actually turn face right now because he's getting face love. This is this has been an incredible run for him. All right, number two from at vulgar C three PO, interesting name there. We are getting a fatal four way at the Rumble with the Undertaker added to the Lesnar three way. Raw twenty five is the week before the Rumble. Taker will be inserted. And go over, pinning Kane, carrying the belt into WrestleMania for a rematch with Reigns. Strowman and Lesnar will take each other out, setting up a showdown at WrestleMania, where Braun goes over and likely takes the belt off Taker at the post-WrestleMania Raw. Parentheses. The only thing that hasn't been decided is if Taker will go over and drop the belt, or if Reigns will be given the belt, and Mega Heel Heat. The Rumble itself will not affect this, as Shinsuke will win to set up Nakamura Styles. This isn't even a question. He's booking the damn territory. <laughs> I just read that for the first time, I'll be honest. And my question is, 
What? Well, I, I had to give him. I had to give vulgar C three PO his props because sometimes we say, "Send your questions, send your booking ideas," and he went for it here. He went deep. <laughs> I'm almost wondering if he's working for WWE Creative and he's just trying to tip us up. But no, this is a, this is a very interesting idea. But man, do I hope this is not true. I want nothing to do with an Undertaker Roman Reigns rematch that we have talked about in the past. And for as bad as this Kane thing is, Adam, as much as I cannot stand fifty year old Kane every week on my TV now taking bumps from Brock Lesnar if somehow the Undertaker Patrick Ewing in a Supersonics jersey makes his way out to my TV in my Wrestlemania we are going to have issues vulgar C3PO I really hope you're trolling me here bro I don't know that the Undertaker's career is over I don't know that he's retired because they're leaving so much doubt you think they would end it and they would say congrats to the Undertaker on a great career they have not done that on purpose that said this is not happening there's no, no way no. this goes down. I like the thought process. I like the idea of coming up with something different here. This won't be how, how he comes back. And if he does come back, I don't think it's going to be this year. I think he's going to take like two years, get extremely healthy, great shape, have one final match, maybe go over Reigns right off into the sun. See, I don't need matches from him. And I know that he can't be a secondary figure because he's so... Uh, so has accomplished so much. He's such an iconic figure. But if he could help somebody else, if he could be the muscle, if him and Bray Wyatt could team up and he could be the muscle, like, I think there's more life to him. But again, that's asking an all-time great. It'd be like asking Michael Jordan to be like the backup shooting guard, you know, at, at age 45. You're just not going to have that happen. I will say one thing. He did bring up that The Undertaker is advertised for that Raw 25. We should not forget that. I don't think he's getting involved in anything, but he is going to be there. So, that is interesting. That that is something that we need to watch out for. I don't know if you, if you it's a good point. If you ad, if you advertise a guy that that big who never comes back, then that's yeah, that's something. So number three here from at Daniel Greer. I like these regular name Twitter handles. Good stuff, Daniel. BC exclamation point. I think what's happening with Finn Balor now is on purpose. They are trying to go for the Daniel Bryan effect. I don't believe this happened on purpose at all, but came about due to their terrible booking. Vince mentioning that he isn't over. Then Balor taking a personal social media over stance has been on purpose. They are trying to bury him enough to get this groundswell forming to give him a big push. What are your thoughts on that? I, Daniel Greer, I hope not because you know I hate troll booking and it worked with Daniel Bryan because of the timing meaning independent stars had not really established themselves, including smaller guys. Smaller luchadors had, you know, Rey Mysterio getting to the title level was a big deal and was rare, but sort of somebody in Daniel Bryan's spot hadn't been there before. He was the pioneer in that category. It worked because of his personality, his character's personality. Everything worked. And again, it didn't really work. I made that argument the other, the, a couple weeks ago. WrestleMania 30 was great, but it was painful to get there. Do not repeat that with Finn Balor. The reason why you shouldn't is because I've said it before. He not only has, but he's an A-side. He's a leading man. Do not give him the kind of booking that you need to do. Daniel Bryan would not have gotten to the spot he did, you could argue, without this type of storyline and booking. I don't think Finn Balor needs it. I don't want Finn Balor to go through it, but Adam... They repeat everything. So who knows? So the burial of Kane, I don't think by the burial by Kane, I don't think was on purpose at all. Um, that was Vince wanting to put Braun over someone big. I mean, Kane over someone big so they could feed him to Braun. And I think some stuff that has happened since then lends a little bit of credence to what your point is, Daniel. Um, they don't have anything for Finn right now. And generally when that happens, they send him they send wrestlers on tours or they give him a couple weeks off. And right now he's just kind of 
wrestling the Miztourage and it's going nowhere. I think it might be to keep him on TV, keep him in people's minds. And more than anything, I think it lends a little bit of credence to my booking the damn territory of him possibly winning the Royal Rumble and doing that thing on SmackDown. Um, but again, that would be a raw guy crossing over to SmackDown. They generally don't do that. So who knows? I do think that a plan has now been generated for Finn Balor. I don't know what that plan is. Maybe it's something in the intercontinental title picture. I thought that was happening with Miz. Maybe if Samoa Joe gets the strap, you have that feud going into WrestleMania. I don't know. Um, but to say it was on purpose, I think is erroneous. And I think that's the nicest way I can put it. All right. I want to hit you up with the last one here. We got one more DM slide from Trevor at Trey Doherty, also a regular listener of our show. He says, with Mojo winning against Zack Ryder at Clash of Champions, who do you see him feuding with? Do you think Mojo will ever be anything more than a mid-carder? Adam, the only answer I would have had was Rusev, who I think if you turn him face, they're both on the same brand. That makes sense. What do you think about Mojo's potential now coming off of this Ryder situation? It's a good question because I, if you told me Jason Jordan was a singles competitor going to Raw, who would he feud with? I wouldn't have had an answer for you. Like I definitely wouldn't have said Roman Reigns or Samoa Joe. I would have maybe said, oh, maybe they put him in the IC title picture with The Miz. I think the male singles picture on SmackDown right now is screwed up, and maybe Mojo Raleigh is a way to fix that, but there's not a lot of faces. So if he's going to be a heel, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know who's, who he's going to go against. What I will say is I've been incredibly impressed with Mojo Raleigh as of late, especially the promo he cut on Twitter. Now, WWE doesn't allow guys to cut promos like this on TV that might actually get them over, but they do let it happen on social media for some reason. And listen to what Mojo Raleigh did on his account before Clash of Champions. You already know where I am. The same place I am every single off day, the WWE Performance Center. But the question is, where are you, Zack Ryder? Where have you been the past two and a half years? Where have you been recently when we were losing every single match? And I was begging you, I was begging you to come train with me. Practice in these rings as a team. Practice in that weight room as a team. Watch film study on our opponents and study together as a team. Where the hell were you? No, you were too busy going to Disney World. Playing with your toys, building your little toy collection up. You were too busy doing abs and biceps at LA Fitness. Well, LA Fitness ain't going to get it done against me. Because let's remember one thing. You called me out. You challenged me. So you better find a killer instinct and you better find it fast. Or else on Sunday, it's going to be lights out. Not only on your night, but on your whole damn excuse of a career. Wow, that is hot fire. That might be. I'm being honest. If you include social media, TV, pay-per-view, that might be the promo of the year. It happened on Twitter. Very few people saw it. They ruined the rivalry on TV by not giving it any time and rushing it for a kickoff show match. Like, that's great. That That is what promos should be on WWE TV, and it's what they used to be back in the Attitude Era. That was not vulgar. It was not explicit. It was not TVMA. That's a PG promo. That hit the field spot. Boom. Loved it. And I love seeing a guy have to stretch a different muscle. He His his gimmick is that he's hyped. He can't be hyped as a heel. He's got to stretch a different... And it's, it's interesting to see him get to be that dark and intense. So far, it's working. I don't exactly know who he should feud, right? Like I said, give me, give me babyface Rusev, but that doesn't even make sense either. Hey, give me Gronk, right? Give me Gronk, right? <laughs> we talked about that. I mean, if that happened, heel, heel mojo versus face Gronk, 
WrestleMania? Oh, wow. Third, third match on the show? I'm down. All right. Our runtime is coming to an end here. Shout out to everybody on your DM slides this week. Hit us up on the regular at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, and at the Costos. Adam, quickly on the way out, we always touch down deep right in that field spot. For me this week, shout out to Elias on Raw. They, this was such a loose segment before the Women's Royal Rumble main event match and announcement at the end where they just put him out there with a the guitar. It didn't seem like a lot was scripted. Ripped Tom Brady to the Providence, Rhode Island fans. First acting like Tom Brady was on his side and then perfectly delivering the deflate gate rips, dedicating the song to Roger Goodell. And then when he was interrupted one by one by Mickey James, Sasha Banks, Bailey, the way he sort of half flirted with them, half trolled them and then refused the hug with Bailey. This is a guy that has so much potential for an old school type of Raw segments, the kind I like, where it's like, I don't necessarily want as a fan to see Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins wrestle for 25 minutes every Monday night. I want to see fun segments like this where guys stretch their muscles. And he said on the Stone Cold Steve podcast, Stone Cold Steve podcast, listen to me, on the Austin pod this week that he's been given a lot of freedom in these type of, these type of things. So great work, Elias. Keep it up, buddy. And Austin also said he effing loved him. So... If Stone Cold Steve Austin is saying that, like that carries weight with me. Um, not that I felt any differently. I felt the same way before. But Elias heat-seeking missile uh, in a similar fa- So they call SmackDown the land of opportunity, right? So we were kind of seeing it with Mojo we just talked about. We discussed it earlier with Rusev. Maybe he gets some, some shine. They gave Chad Gable front and center pay-per-view space to hit a spectacular array of moves at Clash of Champions. Then they followed it up Tuesday night on SmackDown by putting him and Shelton Benjamin over the tag team champions in the Usos. I am not in the camp that believes Chad Gable as a singles performer one day will outshine Jason Jordan. I did believe that at one point. Jason Jordan now has me convinced. But Chad Gable is incredible in the ring, vastly underrated on the mic. And the fact that he got those moments to shine and the crowd responded, that was my feel spot of the week. I love seeing it. Good for them for giving, finally giving him this opportunity when it looked like this tag team wasn't going to go anywhere. And shout out to the, the video Chad Gable put out, the Scratch and Claw video on Twitter that shows how hard he works, the kind of training he does. This guy, dude, don't forget him. When, when, when they broke up the Alpha, we thought it was, you know, like you said, Jordan set to start him. Gable has a bright future ahead. Well, Adam, that'll do it this week. Special thanks to Kurt Angle for joining us. Happy holidays to all the listeners out there. We said it a little bit ahead of the post-Thanksgiving show to wrap, how much we appreciate everyone out there. We're going to come back with an award show very soon to wrap up 2017. A lot of fun stuff to come, but we could not do this show with everyone out there who takes the time to DM, to listen, to to be part of what we have, to hitting up on social media with that hashtag in this corner, to subscribing, rating, and reviewing. We appreciate that. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Adam, we always like to end the show with... Goodbye and good night, man. And two words. We out.